your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh-oh. A little bit of feedback there. There we go. Well, welcome to Grace. If I haven't had a chance to say hello, I'll try to make a round way around and get to meet you in a second. If you're just joining us for the first time, uh, we've been in a series, so we like to preach or teach in series, which is where we do a couple different things. Sometimes we teach through a series of a book. Sometimes we teach through a topic. And so what we've been doing lately is we've been going through a topic about engaging. And one of the reasons we've been here is post-COVID, the culture which we live in has had a difficult time re-engaging, re-engaging, especially in relationships. And so the first week that we started, we jumped right in, and what we did was we did a luau party. And people were like, why would you start in church with a party? Because we just needed a break, amen? Sometimes you just need to get together, have no agenda, and just hang out. And so that's one of the things that church is supposed to do, but we don't always do it well. Sometimes we get a little stiff and a little too uh, full of ourselves and just need a stinking break. So that's what we did the first week. The second week, we talked about a terminal shift. And the reason we talked about a terminal shift is the end times are very popular in the season we're in. People want to know, when's the end coming? Who's the Antichrist? All these pieces. But what they miss, especially in Matthew 25, which is where we camped, is that the end times are not so much about the information or the process or the sequence. It's really about cultivating a heart that you don't want anyone to go into eternity without knowing Jesus. That's what the end times are really about. And again, the church has missed that and they've stopped engaging in that heart, which I think is at the depth of God's heart. And what we did in that season was we asked you um, after that message to engage in something called blesseveryhome.com. So here we've had 20, almost 20 people engaged in this process, okay? 18 lights, that's what those are. Here's what's happened since we did that. 637 homes across our peninsula have been adopted to be prayed for. 651 have been prayed for, so they said more than one prayer over those homes. 14 people have actually reached out to share the love of Christ in some tangible way with their neighbors. And six have shared the gospel, and six have become discipled homes in some form or fashion. This is what it means to engage when it comes to the end times. It's to engage with our neighbors. Blew me away when we went through Mardella and asked people and said, do you know your neighbors? Uh, Our students recently did a survey here in Seaford. Do you know your neighbors? People don't know their neighbors and they don't have those relationships they're supposed to have. It begins with prayer. Something else that happened uh, the next week after that, which was kind of cool, is we can, oh, I got, we got the URL code, right? I forgot, Sorry. Y'all, y'all can tell me that, Pat. Just shuffle that. You missed it. Come back. It's okay. Okay. I can take instruction too. So if you want to actually engage in Bless Every Home, just scan that URL code and I'll send it out by email if we have your email. But it's one of the ways that you can pray for your neighbors. And when you put your address in, it's literally your neighbors. You're praying for people close by to you. It helps you to pray for them and build a relationship. So I'd love for you to do this. This is one of the ways I believe God is helping us to re-engage with our community. Then the next week after that, we had two things happening. Mordella had its preview service. I want to show you some pictures from that. So this is some pictures from the preview service. And so we had our core team show up there at a school in Mardella, and they were able to prep and figure out, okay, how's this work? What's the worship look like? Had some visiting folks that came, even though we didn't tell a soul we were doing this. And uh, we figured out all the pieces, right, team? Everything works perfectly now. Yeah. What we really figured out was it wasn't about that at all. What we really figured it out was about us drawing closer together, deepening our relationship and preparing our hearts for the harvest that God has brought to that town. 
And so that was pretty cool. Here in Seaford, Pastor Danny continued the series that we were on, and he talked about generational engagement, that engagement should happen through the generations at different ages. And of course, I was listening to your message, Pastor Danny, and I came back thinking about two relationships specifically, which I love watching Miss Julia and my wife connect and pray together. That's a generational engagement. And Miss Nancy and Ilsa, so I love watching that happen. But I know it's also happening. One of the things that um, Kevin told me while I was gone, I said, what was the win from Sunday last week? He said, man, we had students in the booth. We had students greeting. We had, and, and we had other people across every generation engaging, coaching, and working together. They were actually being the church. So that was a big win from generational engagement. And I know one of the things that Pastor Danny asked big for was to see people dedicated to invest in families, especially our children's ministry, which is an area that needs people who desperately love kids. So this week, as we talked about engagement, we keep going forward. I want to talk to you about engaging in kingdom work, specifically work in general, because I think work is something that somehow some of us have caught a bug for, and um, some of it's some of us, it's like we're allergic to it. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some people are allergic to work, and some people aren't. And when I look at this and I think about the concept of work, a lot of times when we think of work, we think of something that's not very good, something that's difficult. Well, if you go back to the first book of the Bible, you go back to Genesis, work was actually something that God created. He created it for man and woman, and it was good. It was actually something that was good. Can you believe that? Work was good. People wanted to go to work, and they enjoyed it, okay? And then something happened where sin, which is when we make life about us, entered the situation, and all of a sudden work became cursed. It became something for many people that was a labor that they didn't enjoy anymore. And you need to understand that because I think it moves forward even from the first book into our time today, which is why I want to talk about engaging in work. Not just our work that we earn a living from, but work that moves us forward as a church family to present good news to people around us in, in our communities. When I was on my way down to Nags Head recently, um, uh, Bucky and Carol blessed us, said, hey, go, you can hang out at our house. And so we went down to their house to hang out for a little mini vacation to get some time off. One of the things that blew me away, and I don't know if you've seen this, but the whole way down, I saw sign after sign after sign after sign that said what? Help wanted. Help wanted. Over and over and over again, all the way down, all the way back, and I started, it got me thinking. I started looking for it around here, and I'm like, gosh, I see it everywhere. Help wanted. Help needed. Talk to people in restaurants and own businesses. They're like, we can't find people. Talk to business owners in this church. They're like, man, we're looking for people. Can't find people. It's a common theme. And so I'm like, I'd like to know why. Would you like to know why? So I don't know if I have the answer. Otherwise, I'd be running for office and not pastor. Okay, so, but here's what I found when I went to the labor uh, uh, commission, or what they call it. This is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So not just the Chamber of Commerce locally, but the one that's connected nationally. And here were the things that they listed as the reasons why we have a work shortage and how I'm going to show you how this is connected to Scripture in just a second. People during COVID and during the outbreak, there was an outpouring of money from the government, not just in unemployment benefits, but in stimulus monies. And what I've learned by just reading is that 68% of our folks just saved that money. That's good. They know how to save. That's a good thing. But there's no reason for them to go back to work because they're still living on the savings they got from the epidemic. That's one reason. That's a large group of people. Another one which might surprise you is some people said, well, this is a bunch of junk I'm walking through, so I'm going to go ahead and take that early 
Over 3 million people in our culture said, I'm out of here. I'm taking retirement. I don't want any more of this stuff. And they split. Um, another one, which is among, especially the younger generation, I had to look it up. I, I can't even use Instagram, right? Lauren has to help me, so y'all get this. But it's called the Great Reshuffle. Hashtag, let me see if I can do this right. Quit talk. You know about this? I knew you would know. Okay. So anyway, so 4.4 million uh, younger folks, meaning uh, about two generations involved in that, 4.4 million just said they quit. They said, we're looking for better jobs and we're looking to improve our quality of life. And we're going to keep working on that until we can get to where we want to be before we re-engage in the job market. Now, in the middle of all this, you've got this whole thing in my world, which is nonprofit. And nonprofits run on volunteers and their generosity and their service. And I learned that volunteerism is down more than it has ever been down in our entire history. The peak for volunteers happened about 10 years after 9-11. People were patriotic. I want to help my neighbors. I want to get out there and do some stuff. But since then, it's dropped to its lowest amount ever. And when you survey and you ask the people that are not volunteering anymore and the people that want to volunteer, they list one major reason as to why they can't volunteer. Anyone want to guess what it is? What is it? I missed that. Say it again. Well, it's bouncing back and forth, and I'm half deaf. <laughs> what is it? The market now? Did y'all catch that? Somebody louder yelled out. COVID, okay. And what was the other one? Time. Did I hear time? Whoever said time, you win the, the prize, okay? Most people in the culture we live in say, I don't have enough time. Number one reason listed why we can't volunteer as a culture Now, I don't know if you've been watching the bulletin, reading the things, but today we're going to do a class called Giving with Grace. And one of the things I'm going to cover in that class in depth is how do you steward your time? It's one of the things that God wants us to steward. I think it's at the heart of this message you're going to see in a second. And I think we can get really out of balance with what we do with time. And work is connected to this, and so is volunteering. Now, before I jump into this book, which is 2 Thessalonians, if you want to put your finger there, if you want to mark it, I want you to know a little history about this church and I want you to know a little bit of what was going on. Uh, this guy named Paul had helped with getting this church going with another guy he was working with. And things had got it pretty heated. And as they got heated, they were able to kind of get the church going. But then they had to split or they were going to die. They were trying to kill him. Okay? So they split. And then Paul said, man, I still have a heart for this church. They're not kind of where I want them to be. So I'm going to write some letters to him. He wrote one that we have in the, in the New Testament called 1 Thessalonians. Another one, 2 Thessalonians, which is the one we're going to look at in a second. And the big issue that we're going to look at in the context that we're going to is they were having a problem with people working. What had happened in the church was Paul had said, there's this cool guy named Jesus, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to fix all the ills of the world. He's going to deal with your politicians. He's going to deal with your work. He's going to make the world the way it was supposed to be. And the people heard that, and they said, well, awesome. There's no reason to work anymore. Then let's just wait on him. This is literally what happened in this culture. And so they quit working. They quit their jobs. They just kind of chilled and hung out, waiting on Jesus. He's coming. He's coming. And that's what's going on. So Paul says, part of his letter to this church is, I have to address this. And that's what's in 2 Thessalonians 3. We're going to look at 6 through 15. I'm going to walk you through it and bring you some things I think are directly connected to our issues around work and volunteering. Here's the first one. And I'm going to call this kingdom workers so we can kind of contextualize it. Kingdom workers follow the example of godly leaders. 
Kingdom workers follow the example of godly leaders. So Paul says at the beginning of this, again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with 6, he says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. Now that's a pretty harsh statement. Brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Now, the teaching that they had received, so we can be on the same page, kind of bring you again, understanding what's going on in this text, is the teaching they had received from Paul was, hey, expand the kingdom. That's what Paul was all about. Expand the kingdom of Jesus. It's a good kingdom. It's a kingdom that loves God and loves other people. And so the problem was the church, instead of expanding the kingdom and making the disciples, had turned inward. Does that sound familiar, church family? Do you think churches can get to a place where instead of thinking about the kingdom of Jesus, that they can turn inward in their thinking? That things are about them, and the return of Jesus is about them, which we covered a few weeks ago. The return of Jesus is about making sure everybody knows what he did for them and how they can have a relationship. But the church had turned inward. Now let me tell you why this is important, not only for you, but also for me and your leadership. We reached, you know, some of you may or may not know, Grace was a revitalization. It was a church that had dwindled down. It got to a point, and we had to, re, had to go through a process of revitalization. There was a point we woke up on the other end of that, probably a year or two ago, where I sensed from the Holy Spirit such a clear uh, vision. And here's was, here was the thing that God kind of brought to me. You're at a place right now, if you want, you can coast. You ever been there? You could coast. You could just chill. Man, you could preach messages every week. You had a good worship team. You got a good core group of people. Then you ride this thing through to your retirement. You can coast. This church will last. It's at a point that you could do that. And I think a lot of churches get to that place. We're good now. We don't have to press forward. We don't have to take risks. It's a safe place to be. We can focus inward instead of outward. When this happens, this is when things get bad. And what Paul was saying was, we are not like that. Paul was saying, look at us. We're still advancing the kingdom. We're still going to new places. We're still planting new works and new churches. We're still releasing people to do works that we don't, can't even understand. And he's saying, follow this example. Don't fall into complacency that you can just coast. This was the issue. That's why he says, we command you. You understand when he says that, whether it's in English or the original language, or, other, or the original language, it means I'm not messing with you. This is not a suggestion. Do this, or you're going to be under God's discipline. So this is this is serious stuff. The Bible was authoritative, by the way. If you don't understand what that means, in December we'll do a class called Growing with Grace, and we'll teach you about the authority of Scripture and how it works in the life of a believer. But as you look through this, this idea of idle and disruptive is so fascinating. Uh, the NIV, which is the one I like and I shared with you, not the 84 this time, Danny, Dustin, the regular NIV I shared with you this week, he's like, yeah, finally a different translation, um, has these two words, right? Idle and disruptive. But in the original language, it's one word. And what's interesting about this one word, the NASB tries to capture the one word. That's the New American Standard Bible. And here's the word it uses, same word. In the, in the Greek, but translated differently, it's unruly. Unruly. And so what's in the text here is the church had become unruly. And they had become unruly in two ways. The two ways they had become unruly was they were idle 
and they were disruptive. When you look at this, it actually comes from a military term, this idea of unruly. And the military term that's pulled from in the original Greek means that people were not placing themselves under the authority of Jesus and his leaders within the church. And they had become disruptive, and they had become idle, and they had become complacent. And Paul's like, no, this can't happen. Look to our example. If I were to paint this in American language for you, let me give it to you hard, but let me give it to you real, the church had become consumers. You've never seen this, right? Especially if you're church shopping. That's okay if you church shop. I get that. But when you shop for a church, let me give you the greatest piece of advice I was ever given. I was given by God this advice. Don't look for who's got the right program, who's got the right music, who's got a preacher that I like, okay? Answer this question. Where does God want me right now that I can best expand his kingdom? If you can answer that question, now you're understanding the heart of Paul. You're understanding the heart of the good news. You know, instead of being a consumer, you want to be a contributor. So this idea of disruptive, that's the idea of idle. This idea of disruptive, let me break this down for you again, this idea of unruly. It's the people who are the gossips of the church that step on somebody's toes. It's the people that are the complainers within the church. That's in this original language that's here. It's the people who find themselves often opposing the vision of how that specific church makes disciples. That's what's in the heart of this. And so Paul's saying, these kind of people don't have anything to do with them. Now that's harsh, but what he's trying to do is get the church to stop looking inward and get focused on all the people that are looking outward to what God wants to do. Let me give you a couple ways that some of the gossip, complaining stuff can happen. And you may not even know it's happening to you. Because when God's spirit is involved in a team of leaders that are moving forward passionately and they begin to sense different things, you got to understand that when, when leaders go, I think this is what God's doing. It's not the only way that they can do it. There's lots of ways that God accomplishes his mission. But when leaders camp on something and they feel passionate about it and their heart is anchored to how it's connected to the good news of who Jesus is, you either need to say, I'm on board, or I'll find another ship. That's what you got to do. Because if you stay, you become the gossip and the disruptor. you got to find somewhere where God's called you. Let me, let me tell you a couple ways. That this, might, this may rub you. I'm going to step on your toes. I'm not trying to. I just feel like this is what the Spirit told me to say. If I tick you off, tell me. I'll apologize to you. I'm an easy apologizer, okay? But here's a couple of them. People come to me all the time and say, I hate ABC when you present the gospel. Can't stand it. Admit, believe, commit. You make it too simple. Think it makes the gospel not in its fullness. Let me tell you, I'm not letting go of it. I think the gospel is simple. I think it has three facets. We must admit our sin before God. That's a big, that's a big deal, by the way. Just do that part, ain't it? We have to believe what Jesus did and why he was sent. And we have to commit our life to him in a real way. Let me tell you when that's rewarding for me. When I listened last week to Pastor Danny's message, and I hear those three pieces, I went, Dag, he got it. And people got saved. And people's lives were transformed. When I went to Dustin's um, grandma's funeral, he didn't use my admit, believe, commit. He doesn't have to, by the way. But I heard all three facets as he presented the gospel to his family at a funeral. And I went, yes, that's what we're about. Because everybody can do that. Everybody can connect those three pieces into their story 
and present the good news. And it's one of those things. If it's something that rubs you, I'm sorry, deal with God, because I'm telling you, it's been put deep into my toes and into my soul to present the gospel in such a way. I'll give you another one that rubs people. I don't like that win word wrestle thing, man. That just, it just seems kind of formatted. It just seems kind of like, ah, it's cheesy. I got to tell you the most rewarding moment for me. If you don't know what win word wrestle is, I'm sorry, let me bring you in on the internal language. Uh, When we hang out in groups, we tell them three things in your group. Just do three things. I don't care how you do them. Share what God did in your life. That's the win, okay? Because God's working in your life, believe it or not. Whether you see it or not, he's working in your life. He's working in the lives of people around you. So when you get together as a group, share the win. And then, hey, when you do your devotions every day, which we ask you to do, right? And you read God's word, I'm just crazy enough to think that God will speak to you through the word. So share that with the people you're hanging out with. And then, I don't know about you, but my life's not perfect. And there's something I need prayer over, and that's called the wrestle. And these three dimensions are the basic components of group. And I had someone, a young person, come to me. I won't tell you who, because that's not appropriate. But bless my socks off this year. They came to me and said, I didn't like that, but we started doing that, and daggone it, it works. You know why? Because it was birthed into the heart of your leaders as they cry out to God what to do with groups and how groups should be simple and relational and not about a program. So I tell you these things because this is what happens. People complain about what room they get at the church. That's stupid. Why don't you complain about who doesn't know Jesus yet? People complain about formats and structure and programming and style. Don't complain about that stuff. Don't be the dissenter. Be the person that says, I'm on mission with what God is doing, and I can't wait to see the next life changed. This is what Paul was combating And he's saying, look to our lives and how we live. Model us, because we're chasing after Jesus. The second part, he says, 4 and 7, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's food. Now, that, that I do eat, okay? Without paying for it, and sometimes I do that, okay? Repentance. Okay, on the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, verse 9, not because we do not have the right to such help. He's an apostle. He's a pastor. But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. What Paul was saying was leaders lead with the very life example. And let me tell you, leadership and being a Christian is hard. It will cost you something. You know why? Because it costs Jesus something. It might cost you an hour-long ride to go on a mission trip. Oh, my gosh, an hour out of your life. I bet you'd drive an hour to see a concert. Just saying, okay? But would we drive an hour to help someone in need? These are the kind of decisions we make. And, and what Paul says, look to the example of your leaders. Are they leading in a way that has integrity and heart and works hard? Or they're not. If they're not, hey, call them on it. If they are, follow the example. Get on board. Here's one that really, um, I'll confess to you, I struggle with is the balance between advancing the kingdom and the family. Y'all with me on this one? This is hard, right? It's hard to balance sometimes family with kingdom. And one of the things I was taught years ago in uh, some inappropriate and some appropriate ways was, hey man, as as you minister, be careful not to put your family on the altar of ministry. But And it sounds cute, and it sounds good, and it sounds balanced because my family should be my first ministry. I agree with that, by the way. I agree with that. But it's not a formula. It's not like you can just put the formula pieces together. In fact, what I've learned is sometimes in some seasons, ministry is hard, and it's going to cost your family. 
And if you don't believe me, read the New Testament. I can't imagine what Peter's wife said when he went back home and said, hey, I told this dude I'd follow him. I quit my job. And we're just going to ramble around the the countryside sharing the good news of who he is. When are you going to be home? I don't know. (laughs) How are you going to feed us? I don't know. But God's good and it's going to work out. I mean, these are the men and women. And we looked at their lives like that was costly and it was hard. But somehow they balanced it. And somehow God's kingdom advanced. This is one of the reasons why I'm passionate about the class I'm teaching today, because the hardest part for me preparing the class on time, talent, and treasure, which is the concept of how you steward your stuff, the hardest one was time. How do you do this? And there's a mystery to it. There's not a formula to it. It really requires some life on life. And so I'm excited to be able to hang out with some people today and work on how to balance their time and their life. The second thing that you see about these kind of kingdom workers is, one, they follow the example of their God leaders, but they also don't reward idleness, disruptors, or busybodies. Good leaders, they don't do that. People that work in the kingdom and they're grounded in it, they don't reward idleness, they don't reward disruptors, and they don't reward busybodies. I love this in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. This one's nasty. The one who is unwilling to work shall not what? Wow. I think this might change our entitlement programs in our nation. What do you think? Something tells me that God's social program is different than many of the social programs we're a part of. In other words, he's saying that the lazy, the unengaged, and the entitled should not be the rewarded. It's the other folks that do need the hand up, not just a hand out, that are to be rewarded. Uh, one of our partnerships that you'll hear about if you're here long enough is a partnership called Love, Inc. It's Love in the Name of Christ. And one of the things that they do for us and other churches in our area, which I think is powerful, is when people come and they come, where's Ruth? She's somewhere around here, and knock on our door all the time, and they say, I need help with gas, I need help with food. I need, that's, that's real. Some people have real needs, okay? That's real. And they knock on the door. We actually say, hey, call this number with Love, Inc., and we'll help you. And what they do is they know that there are some people that are serial abusers. They go from church to church to church to church to church, just looking for a hand out, and they let us know. But they also know, no, no, this is a family that, man, they're, they're down on their luck. It's a bad situation. Like, you need to help with this. And then not only do we help, but all the churches in the area then pull their resources together to help. This is the heart of what's happening in this text. If someone's willing to work hard, God's saying, help them. Get on it. But also, those are just busy bodies and I want to work hard. You're not supposed to enable them. What do we call that in recovery, Pastor Danny? He's like, he ain't going to say it, are you? All right, I won't either. Okay. Now he's thinking. So anyway, I'll, I'll keep moving forward. But in this, I think, is the heart of this idleness and busybodiness and people that just want to be spiritually lazy and only consume. One of my favorite parts of Scripture is out of John 6, where Jesus looks at a group of people who have learned to come to him because he's pretty awesome. He's fed them. He's fed the 5,000. He's fed the 4,000. He's teaching in a way that no one else is teaching like. And they're very captured, engaged by him. And um, they're wanting more. But some of them don't want more of just Jesus. They want more of what Jesus can give them. It's back to this consumer component. And, and specifically, the one group that was hammering Jesus in John 6 was saying, hey, we, we keep saying you're greater than Moses. Well, give us at least the bread that Moses gave us. And Jesus says, I am the, I am the bread of life, Right? 
And then he says something that throws the whole group off. He says, unless you eat of my body and you drink of my blood, you have no part of this ministry. Now, he was referring to what we're going to celebrate in a moment, which is called the Lord's Table. But he was also referring to the absolute abandonment of when you give yourself to him and you're not idle, you're not the disruptor, you're not just a busybody, you're busy about the kingdom of Jesus and advancing it. And he was harsh with them, I don't think to drive them away. He was harsh with them so they would know to draw near, that they would know this is what it costs and it's not easy, but it's worth it. I love it in 11, it says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. 12, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Now, if you're a first-time guest, okay, what a message for you, okay? (laughs) There's a component where you do just get to God. Let me just take it in, okay? That's okay. Let me just take in what God's doing here. I'm not ready to jump in yet. That's okay. But Paul's addressing a group, a church, that had plenty of time to settle in, and now it was time for them to really settle down and to give of themselves. Settling down is this idea of stepping back, evaluating the question, am I a consumer or am I a contributor to the gospel and how the gospel takes place in this place? That, that's what that is. Recent reality that we went through as a leadership team, very painful for us, I'll share it with you just so you can understand what happens, was we were brought back to a basic principle that if there's no leader, there's no ministry. So one of the things that we started doing is we can equip leaders We can bless leaders, we can encourage leaders, but we can't be everything that's supposed to be in the ministry. And we started looking for people that weren't idle and just busybodies, but we're looking for people that are completely abandoned and engaged to the person of Jesus and want to see his life shared with other people. Last week, let me give you some ways that you can do that that Pastor Danny shared just last week. Club 412. If you've got a heart for children, if you're a parent, let me just put it this way. If you're a parent, you bring your kids here, but you never serve back there, can I be blunt with you? You're consuming. At some point, you need to give and not just get. That's this idea that's right here. And if you're a busybody, reorient your life so you have time once a month to engage in this ministry. Code Purple is one that came up recently. I was talking to Ms. Carroll. Dr. Carroll, there you go, almost missed that, Dr. Owens, I got two of them up there, okay, but Dr. Carroll, and she's got a heart for the homeless in our area, the the people that right now just don't have that address, and did you know right now, just so you know where Grace is, we've been praying for a leader to step up that will lead Code Purple, but we haven't got one, we've put the word out already, we've put out in several places, and we're one week away from if we have no leader, we won't be able to host it this year. Because God works through his people and he works through leaders. And it's people that somehow can get unbusy and aren't idle, but have a passion for a certain area and their pastors will equip them to do that. But that's where we are. Engaging in a weekly growth group. So I don't have time for that. My life is full. Yet my life's not. <laughs> my life is very full. And somehow I find the time to meet with my growth group every week. Do you know why? Because it's where I really get down to earth with my prayer life. 
That's where I get really down to earth with being held accountable that I'm actually doing it a devotion. And it's not just checking off a box. And it's where I get to hear about the amazing movement of God's hand and God's spirit in the lives of other people that I am sharing my life with. That's something I'm willing to make time for and not be just busy. Engaging in a monthly mission trip, the third Saturday mission trip. Somebody, I just can't do it. I'm so busy. One Saturday a month to reach out to people that you may not even know. That's the best part, by the way, when you don't know them. Because when you bless someone that you don't know and doesn't live right next to you, they can't repay you. Now you understand the heart of Jesus in a more in-depth way. We should do that with our neighbors too, by the way. (laughs) A fourth way, maybe God is engaging you to lead. One of the things I I need to ask of the church more often, because I believe God's doing this, is he's calling many of you, and I don't know who you are, but I know you're in this church. He's calling some of you to be missionaries. I know he is, to go to places where the gospel is not being presented. I know he is. And maybe God's calling you to step into that. Maybe God's calling you to be a pastor. We need to ask that every once in a while so that you can kind of raise your hand, so to speak, so we can notice that and bless you and be able to help you. God's calling people all the time to be deacons, servant leaders in his church. But if you're too busy, if you're idle, you can't say yes to these things because you don't have time. If you're one of those people you say, I don't have time, I can help you find the time. I can help you find the time. Take the class today, and you'll be shocked. It will be difficult. It will be hard, but you can find the time. I found the time, and you can find the time. One example, I think, that has really ate us up in this area, and I'd love to see the church one day flip this paradigm upside down. Again, I'm probably going to step on somebody's toes. I'm so sorry. I'm just telling you what I see. I think travel ball is one of those areas. I would love to see travel ball one day get so destroyed by Christians that said, sorry, we'll show up any other day of the week. We'll show up on Saturday, but, and we'll show up Sunday afternoon. Boy, I ain't missing church. Sucks to be y'all. Because right now the paradigm switched the other way, doesn't it? And so this is where we start changing culture and where we start making time and we start moving things in a different way. So kingdom workers, they follow God, the example of God leaders. Kingdom workers, they don't reward idleness or disruptors or busybodies. And the third thing is kingdom workers stay encouraged by increasing intimacy with those on Jesus' mission. This is how you stay. So if you've been one of those guys or gals, and you've been working hard, and you're like, man, that's our holy huddle of four, and there's like, no more, okay? We've asked for more, and there ain't no more. We keep trying. We keep working. We keep asking God to bring workers. We, we've read the scriptures. We know we read that one that says, hey, the harvest is big. The guy asked, pray for the harvest. Lord, we're praying for them. Where are they? If you're that person, this next part of this passage is for you. It's an encouragement. Verse 13, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Don't tire of it. Don't tire of it. Here's here's the thing that he's saying in the context of this passage. He's saying increase, this is the positive side of this, increase your hangouts with people who are kingdom-minded. When you increase your hangouts with those that are kingdom-minded and those that aren't necessarily kingdom-minded, it changes your perspective and you get excited because they're excited for what excites the kingdom, which is excites your heart. And when you start to do this, and you do this through groups, and you do this through ministry, you're encouraged. You're not discouraged. People that disconnect eventually disconnect, whether it's in groups or ministry, and they become discouraged. I love the second part of this in 14 where it says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in the letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as the enemy, 
but warn them as you would fellow believers or fellow believer. What, what he's saying here is, hey, people that are at this place where they're idle or they're busy, they're not the enemy. Don't make them the enemy. They're not the enemy of Satan, okay? He's the enemy. But he's saying, hang out with the people that will most encourage you who are on the same mission that you're on. That's what's at the heart of this. One of the things I learned a long time ago, and it's a hard lesson. I've talked with my friends about it a lot, and they get it. I have a tendency, maybe like you, is I'll see a very gifted person. You ever done that? And I'm like, gosh, that person's got a lot of gifts. They're really smart. They're good with this, or they're good with music. And what we do, whether we realize or not, we're like, i got to get them on my team. Right? i got to get them over here. Because I know they can contribute and add a lot to what either God's doing or I'm doing. That, that's a different message, okay? But we forget that that's not what God looks for. What does the scripture say that God looks at? He looks at the heart. So what you should be looking for based on this is I'm looking for people that share the same heart as God. Not necessarily their skill set or their gifting. I'm looking for the heart. And the person that has that heart that's bent after Jesus and wants other people to know Jesus and wants to serve alongside those people, hang out with those people. You will be encouraged and not discouraged. And that's why he wants us to invest in heart, not ability. For those of you that you struggle with this idea of disruptive gossip, let me just tell you. Let me tell you how we fix that, church. We don't fix it by the pastor preaching on it. You don't fix it through a program. You don't fix it usually through the deacons dealing with that person. Let me tell you how gossip gets fixed. When the church is unified on the mission of Jesus and they're hanging out with somebody who starts to gossip, what's the church do? They don't have to be taught this. They tell the other person, I'm not sure that's appropriate. Have you talked to that person directly? Stop talking around them and talk to them. Practice Matthew 18. When the church practices that, the gossips will do one of two things. They'll actually begin to change and stop gossiping, which is a win. Or they'll find another church to go and gossip about, which is a win. Okay? But the church does that. The pastors don't do that. For those that are dissenters, let me tell you what's at the heart of dissension. If you're that person, just again, just kind of hit you where, where life is. Dissenters have their own agenda. And they're willing to push that agenda over God's agenda over the leadership of a church. So if you've got a different agenda, it's okay. Maybe God has a different church for you. And when someone begins to become a dissenter and talking poorly about your church and your leadership and the direction that we're headed, tell them that's okay. Maybe God's got a different place for you. Can I help you find it? For real. Maybe God's stirring you to find a different place. That's okay because the kingdom is a big place. Maybe it's not here, but it's somewhere. Help them find that place. I will help you help them find a different place if that's where they need to be, okay? Let me tell you why this is so important and how it connects to some things we've been doing. Again, the, the mystery of how God's spirit moves blows me away and blesses me every week. One of the people I reached out to as I was praying for my neighbors, I was doing a little stalking. I don't know if you all have done this. I, um, I was funny. One of Seth's friends was over at the house one day after church and, you know, give your connect cards. Those of you do connect cards, I do read them every week. And one of the things I do if you're a new person is I stalk you. Someone's going to tell you right up front, I stalk you. Okay, I'm going to find you on Facebook or send you a text because I want to know you and I, and I love you. I really do. And I want to help you take the next step in your faith. Seth's friend's next to me. He's like, so does the church pay you to be a professional stalker? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. This is what I get paid to do, okay? It's not the preaching. It's the relationships with people. And so as I've been praying for my neighbors, 
it's kind of in me to be a professional stalker. So I started taking her names and copying them and putting them in Facebook and see if I could find them. And I found them. They're right around me. And so I started, I messaged one last week. And, and my, this sister I messaged, and she is one Pentecostal sister, and she can pray. So I message her. She, she accepts my friend request. She sends me right away a link to her ministry, and I mean, she's praying heaven down. I mean, it's coming to earth. And I'm listening to her pray in a, in a prophetic way. I can tell the style of her church, and I'm like, I like this. This gal's on fire for Jesus. We have two different styles, but man, she's on fire for God. And so I reached out to her. I said, hey, um, I'm praying for you. This is why I reached out to you. Can you pray for us and pray for some of the things that are going on in our church? And she sends back this long prayer. And I could just tell our hearts are binded together already. She goes, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for the new church plant. I'm praying for the church in Seaford. And she had specific ways she felt the Spirit of God was telling her to pray. And I thought, man, this is the heart of God, isn't it? This person gets it. They're going to pray the things of God birthed in the heart of God's leaders into existence through the power of prayer. And that was one of those things last week that blew me away. Through the simple aspect of prayer, but not prayer focused inward, prayer focused outward on their community. So I'm going to ask you that question today. Where are you in this process? Consumer? Contributor? How do you understand the good news of who Jesus is? Do you understand that you need a Savior because you are a sinner? Have you committed your life to him fully? Or are you only committed to the things that are convenient for you? Or are you ready to commit to the things that may even cost you money, time, talent, treasure? Where are you? I want to pray for you in this way, and then we're going to move into the Lord's Supper. And this will be a very convicting moment for me as well as you. Because I'm going to ask us to do something we've never done as a church family. You see, Jesus, when he gave us the Lord's table, was a reminder of who he was in the gospel. He gave us something that's very difficult to make about ourselves. But somehow as Americans, we can even make this about us, can't we? About us only receiving him. So in a moment, we move into the Lord's table based on your response. I'm going to ask you not to participate if you're not willing to give Jesus away to others. We should only receive the Lord's table because we're willing to give Jesus away to other people. We shouldn't just receive it for ourselves or our benefit. We should receive it because we are so deeply thankful for what Christ did for us when he died for our sins that we can't help but share it in ministry with other people. So if that's where you are and you want to, you're already doing that or you want to take that next step that you want to serve in an area that you're not serving, this is really for you. Because I want, to, I want you to know there is this transference of the presence and the grace of God that is so real and so palpable in the Lord's table. And it's because you get who he is and what he wants to do with his kingdom. So let's pray together and do that. Father in heaven, I thank you for those gathered here this day. Tough message, Lord, but your word sometimes is so tough. It's tough on me and it's tough on us at times. But you're tough on us because you love us. You love us enough to tell us the truth and expose when we go wayward in life, when we just get a little off track or a lot off track. Father, when, we, when that happens, that sin, whether it's a sin of committing something or a sin of omitting something that should be in our lives, Father, we take this moment 
to tell you how sorry we are for how we've hurt you, hurt your kingdom, hurt one another. God, that sin in our life cannot remain. But we're not able to deal with it. It's just not in us. And so instead, we turn only to you. We give you thanks that even though we couldn't, you sent Jesus who could. That in the great exchange and mystery of faith, he took our sin on himself when he went to the cross. And he lived a perfect life, the life we can't live. He lived perfectly without sin. And because of that, he became the perfect offering for the forgiveness of my sin and the sins of all the world. Father, we put our belief and our trust and our hope in him alone, in Christ alone. For it's only in him that we can be forgiven and have an everlasting relationship with you. Thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you that we're forgiven because of our faith in him and his sacrifice to pay for our sins. Father, faith without works is dead. You said it. You said it through one of your best apostles, closely, intimately connected to Jesus. And so, Father, we recognize there is an element of our commitment, our surrendering fully to whatever you want as Lord. And so this day, we surrender to you. Specifically, God, we surrender to serve you, to serve your bride, the church, to serve the community around us that they might know you, that they might see you in us. We commit our lives to you, our money to you, God, our time to you, our gifting to you. We commit everything to you because we know that you can do far better things with those things than we can. So we lay them at your feet, excited to receive what you have for us, but more excited to give away what you give us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. So our deacons are about to come forward, deaconesses, and as they come forward, we're going to have a time of the Lord's table. Um, I'll explain exactly what that is for a few if you're new. So you do not have to be a member of this church. Um, You just need to have a relationship with Jesus. So if you've put your faith in Christ, you believe he's forgiven your sins and your life is committed to him, this is a time for you. You don't have to be a member here. Now, again, today, one of the things I would ask you to think about, you do whatever the Lord tells you. He's the Lord, I'm not. But I want you to really reflect on, if you're willing to truly take this Be willing to share your life with other people and with the ministry of this church. I believe that's the message that God had for us this day because I think he wanted us to make the Lord's table more tangible. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with some of the closest people he had spent his life with. And he took bread, which was a part of the ceremony that they were already doing, and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Take in remembrance of me.
Father, we receive your body broken for us this day, wanting to share the living body of who you are with our neighbors, our friends, and our families. Give us the strength by receiving you to share with others. In Jesus' name, amen. That same evening, Jesus grabbed a cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And not only your sins, but all those who will one day believe in my name. Take and drink. we thank you that your blood covers over all sin by partaking today we believe that you have forgiven our sins and Lord we want to share that with other people not just the joy that we've been forgiven but that they might be forgiven as well we thank you for that in Jesus name Amen